Welcome back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me on this crazy episode is P-Nate from the Rebel Podcast. Not the weaker vessel. How you doing, Nate? You having a good night? I'm doing... I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm uh, I'm I'm happy to be on Awakening Reformation. I was thinking, is I think this is the first time that I've been on Awakening Reformation podcast where I wasn't physically with you. So this is the first time I feel like I'm on as a guest. Oh yeah, that's true. Because you were just yeah. on Fathers of the Faith, yeah. and then you know live in the flesh when you were on live the other in the flesh time. When so we, when we crashed your house, yeah. So there you so, go. Another box checked. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> our, our, our relationship's just hitting all those boxes, Grant. All right. So, P. Nate of the Rebel Podcast, how can people uh, get to know more about our network, Rebel Alliance Media? Well, Grant, that is an excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> if, they, if people want to get to know more about us, they can check out rebelalliancemedia.com. Uh, there's plenty of podcasts, plenty of blogs, plenty of content. Uh, the Eschatology 201 series is dropping uh, by the time this comes out. Uh, a couple more episodes left. So you can check out our YouTube channel, Rebel Alliance Media. And uh, you can find us on Facebook. And you can subscribe to all the podcasts just by uh, subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app at Rebel Alliance Media. And, Grant, if they wanted to give back to the show, they could go to patreon.com slash Alliance. All right. Now, if you're listening and you're sure. wondering where Erica is, where's the weaker vessel? What we are doing the next few weeks is a host swap. And so right. these hosts on Rebel Podcast and Awakening Reformation are just mixing things up. Some of us are going to be on Rebel Podcast and then we're switching around and Rebel Podcast hosts are going to be on Awakening Reformation. And so your treat tonight is going to be just Nate and I. Um Kind of impromptu talking about some theological topics that are getting tossed around the reformed world right now and um, not going to get too deep or too crazy detailed for you guys out there, but just kind of have a theological chat, if you will. Hey, I uh, I like all my theological chats and especially with you, Grant. So I'm looking forward to this. I think it'll be fun swapping uh, swapping hosts. We all have uh, we all get into our little habits, right? So it's yeah. nice to switch up a little bit and keep each other on our toes and uh there's a lot of affection between uh the four uh hosts of these podcasts so it's nice to it's nice to be able to do this yeah i'm really looking forward to this it's really fun now so, i have no idea what we're talking about so <laughs> uh, whether or not i'm looking forward to it for real i don't know but i eagerly await uh the topic of this episode <laughs> Yeah, in uh, in spirit you're excited, but in spirit I'm excited. We'll see if that stays true, huh? <laughs> All right. So this is the first thing I want to talk about. There right. has recently been some feathers ruffled because of something that the great Beth Moore has said on the even greater Twitter. <laughs> and I am trying to find. Here is something that Beth Moore said on Twitter. For all of the world to see. I don't know if you saw this, Nate, or not. But this is what she said. All right. My basic take on life thus far. If tons of folks say one thing and Jesus says another, 
I'd pretty well go with Jesus on it. Then, to some uh, people responding to her, she says this and tweets again, No, I was not subtweeting the apostle, but I'd like to say something here. I believe wholeheartedly all scripture is inspired by God. Authoritative, truth, but the persons themselves, Paul and Jesus, are not equals. I know this is hard for some to swallow, but Paul is not our savior. Uh. So first question I want to ask you, Nate, is is there any uh. problem with this tweet? Um, I would say the biggest problem with this tweet is Twitter, right? <laughs> I think hundred percent. Yeah, the the biggest problem with this tweet is that I probably and and look, I'm not a Beth Moore fan. Um, you know, no. I think actually the last time we were in the closet uh, recording, um, I should probably explain that for the listeners. <laughs> the <last laughs> time I was in uh, Cast of Van Brimmer, and they're That's recording. Right. It was in their closet. So last time we were there, I think we talked about Beth Moore. If we didn't talk about Beth Moore um, on on recording, we talked about her off recording. And we were kind of chatting about the difficulty of kind of call, calling yourself complementarian um, and then acting like a pastor in the pulpit, right? Yeah. And so I, I've, I have grave issues with with Beth Moore and, uh, and the fact that I think she is violating scripture uh, every time she teaches in the way that she does. That said... There's not necessarily anything wrong with what she said, and I think I want to be charitable with what she meant by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, but the problem here is Twitter. So, of course, every evangelical would would agree: Paul is not our savior; Jesus is our savior. Right. Amen. Absolutely, no caveat needed. But because um, because the uh, the subtext of what she's talking about here is scripture. Mm-hmm. She, what she seems to be implying, and I don't, I don't necessarily think she's actually meaning this, but this is the problem with Twitter. This is the problem with saying um, unclear things on Twitter. What, what it seems like she's saying is that the words of Jesus in Scripture supersede the words of Paul in Scripture. And what we would say is that Jesus is the Word incarnate, and the written Word reflects all of what Christ has said. Right. So the of Paul are in fact the words of Christ because we believe that his words are inspired and they're part of the collective word that is Christ. So so if if what she means by that is that, you know, some sort of red letter Christian thing where we should take the words of Jesus more uh more clearly than we take that of Paul, then that's a problem. I think all she's trying to say there is that Jesus is our savior, Paul isn't the person of Jesus is the person that we should be modeling ourselves after, not necessarily Paul, etc. Now, she would run into, into problems, and uh, this is why if there was a longer conversation, I'd say, well, what about scriptures where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Like, clearly, right. clearly Paul is, is commanding us under the inspired word of God to, um, to uh, imitate him. So there's just all kinds of problems with what she said. I don't necessarily think it's like heretical or anything because I mm-hmm. think what she means by it is what we would all say amen to. But that's the problem of trying to convey those sorts of thoughts on Twitter. And number two, that's also the problem of in this culture where there are a lot of Bible teachers who are uh, are not being faithful and are teaching a sort of red letter Christianity. Right? Recently on the Rebel Podcast, we've been talking about Brexit Cavey. Yep. He's a red letter Christian guy. Um, so because those people do exist, she should be more clear, 
right? So I think, I, I yeah. think this is one of the reasons why, like, um, many of the historic creeds and confessions do affirmations and denials, right? So if she's going to affirm something like, you know, Jesus is our Savior, not Paul, she should then deny that the words of Paul, as recorded in Scripture, are any less than that of Jesus, right? That's why affirmations and denials kind of go together, because you can clarify what you mean. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because so. so when I when I saw this, I really just thought, wow, that's a really bad straw man argument. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know many people going around saying Paul is my savior. Right. Like, who is I mean, that? I don't know who's doing that. And and so she's kind of like coming down, putting the hammer down on who a straw man, it seems, at least to me. And right. and again, I don't know who out there. Well, and maybe this is where we just get into what do we mean by inspiration of scripture? You know, if Paul wrote something that is, you know, scripture that is God breathed, what we what we're not saying. So this would be a denial then is that we don't believe that everything Paul ever wrote was scripture. Right. Right. So if he wrote a letter to a buddy and just said, like, hey, I'm coming to Rome next week. That wasn't necessarily scripture. Right. The things that the Holy Spirit has inspired and preserved for the church, that the church through the spirits uh, working has recognized this is scripture. This expounds the person of Jesus to us, fits with the rest of scripture. And that's kind of how the early church um, formed the canon. That That that's is, right. that's what we believe. And so part of my frustration, I guess, was that, like you said, a lot of this is, we have no problem with this. And then all of a sudden she's like, I know this is hard for some to swallow, but Paul's not our savior. I'm like, wait, no one says that. Right. So it's like think- a curveball at the end there. She could kind of throw. She could kind of throw. Uh, what is that? First, First Corinthians two or First Corinthians one out there. Um, when Paul's saying like, some say I follow Cephas, some yeah. say I follow Paulus, right? I, you know, and she could throw that out there. But I think you're right in that. You know, I, I think she knows her scripture well. <laughs> but uh, I'd say she knows it well enough to probably throw something like that out there. But I think you're right. I think. Um, the, I guess the, the tone of seems like she's taking on the, um, the hardcore reformed community and, and she feels like she's kind of, um, poking at something. Mm -hmm. I think she's poking at something that, like you said, isn't necessarily there. Yeah. Right. So, so whether or not this is, I, you know, whether or not this is just bad communication because Twitter is not a great medium for these kinds of things or not she's she's trying to poke at something and she doesn't really understand what yeah i I mean i don't even know really how to describe it because i agree with you it's not like anybody's going around saying you know we should we should be praying to paul or anything so i don't know it just seems (laughs) like unless you're catholic yeah that's a whole different (laughs) can can of worms true yeah she's actually interestingly she's been actually actually pretty ecumenical in in terms of uh well anyway that's a whole other surprise me at all and yeah yeah i mean retweeting retweeting and uh supporting some of uh what's the uh i um purpose-driven life guy rick warren yeah some of that stuff that he was doing with the catholics yeah Mm -hmm. she was a big of that stuff so interestingly i don't think surprising (laughs) but i will add this to this conversation that original tweet of hers, it looks like there's 121 like messages to it. On the Twitter verse, I would not be surprised also if there were a dozen people on there that legit believe Paul is their savior. <laughs> so I mean this is the that's yeah, the problem with Twitter problem again. With Twitter, right? Yeah, this is the problem with Twitter. Um, you know, and I think too, one of the things you can't sweep under the rug in this conversation is 
you know, in order to defend her ministry, she has to ignore a whole lot of the words of Paul, right? Agreed. So, so immediately anybody who actually believes what the Bible says about complementarian theology mm. and the restriction on women, I think is going to be suspect of anything she says negative towards Paul, because from my point of view, from your point of view, um, she's ignoring a whole lot of plain indicative statements from the apostle Paul in order to justify yeah. her, her very ministry and her livelihood. Yeah. So I think that's a problem. And I think that's probably why, um, even if what she said wasn't quite as bad as some people might've thought it was, that's why she's getting that reaction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paul said a whole lot of things that should convict her of what she's doing yeah. and they don't seem to. So yeah, that's a problem. That's what we think of that. That's what we think this of this episode, eh? Well, yeah, right. <laughs> so far, so far, so far. All right. So there's another topic that recently has been tossed around again through some reform Facebook groups that we're a part of. And it was kind of a hot button issue a few years ago because of some people that I know you and I have benefited greatly from as we have come up in uh, kind of the new Calvinism reformed world. And that is the debate surrounding the EFS or ESS Trinity beliefs. So for those of you who don't know, I, I'm seriously not an expert on this anyway, but I do enjoy the conversation. EFS would be eternal functional subordination. And then ESS, it's just two different acronyms for the same position. ESS is the eternal subordination of the Son. And so this is a view of the Trinity that believes that Jesus, the Son, God the Son, is eternally subordinate to the Father. So, Nate, I'm going to open up to you. What are your thoughts about this? Have you studied this? Have people asked you questions about this uh, at your church? I know you can name some of the names on both sides of this and and maybe lay yep. out what you see as some of the issues. I think, um, and this is the same, like I have, I have people who who ask me where I stand on infralapsarianism and superlapsarianism and some of these theological things that I think at the end of the day, there's, there are some things that we ought to be very, very passionate about. Mm-hmm. And there are things that maybe we should hold more closely. And for me, the, the eternal functionality, uh, the eternal subordination, eternal functional subordination is uh, is one of those things I'm going to hold a little bit more loosely, and I'll and I'll explain what I mean. Okay. So there, as you said, there are, there are good brothers uh, who have greatly benefited my ministry on both sides of the argument, and in some ways, I want to say um, if John Frame is on one side of an argument, Doug Wilson's on another. Uh, I want to be pretty careful about saying <laughs> right? that has no scriptural support, right? Yeah, hundred. Yeah, definitely. So. So I think that's important for our, for us to, to recognize. So one of the things that comes out of eternal functional subordination is um, is the way it complements, uh, excuse the pun, mm-hmm. uh, complementarian theology, right? So yeah. there would be those who would say, okay, Jesus is eternally functionally subordinate to the Father, um, just like just like a wife is eternally functionally subordinate to her husband, right? And so we see complementarian theology reflected in the very triune nature of God. Um, and I think whether or not you believe in EFS, that's true, right? Like, because Jesus did, Jesus did submit to the Father's right. will. Jesus did, Jesus did say that he came not to do his own will, but the Father who yeah. sent him. Um, there's all that stuff. And so that's, that's true whether or not you believe this or not. 
the crux of the argument is whether or not you believe Jesus was always functionally right. subordinate to the Father, or whether or not he became functionally subordinate to the Father either at the incarnation or at um, some some would say at the eternal covenant of redemption, um, and some would say at, at some some place after the fall. So what what we're differing on here is when Jesus became functionally subordinate to the Father. I think those who argue for eternal functional subordination are trying to bolster their um, complementarian theology, mm-hmm. right? So that they can say, see, complementarianism is is not only biblical and, and clearly stated in Scripture, but it's also reflected in the triune, the eternal triune nature of God. Yeah. Those who are arguing um, against eternal functional subordination are trying to defend the equality of Jesus with God the Father, right? They're, yeah. they're trying to defend, they're, they're, they're guarding against what they would see as a um, uh, an inequality between God the Son and God the Father. So I sympathize with both sides of those things. I just think, number one, you don't need eternal functional subordination in order to justify complementarian theology, because it's actually very clear scripturally. You don't need this extra thing to bolster it. Right. On the other side, and then on the other side, I would say that um, you don't need Jesus not to be eternally functionally subordinate in order to have full equality with God, because at the very heart of complementarian theology, we would say it's not your role that gives you significance; it's your essence. And so, the, if the essence of God the Son and God the Father are equal, even if they have differing roles, then they can still be equals. So, I. I personally, I would actually come down on the side of eternal functional subordination. I think if I was if I was studying, you know, the study that I've gone through, I'd be okay with it. I, I think I'm okay with with it being there. Now that said, this isn't a hill I'm going to die on. This is like right, inf- yeah. inf- versus superlapsarianism. I actually don't think the Bible is completely clear on this. So um, that's yeah. my that's my controversial stance because I imagine. <laughs> differently because uh most in most in the uh reform pub and other places that we frequent um disagree with me so before i before i uh comment do you what side does frame and what side does wilson land on that i know you said that they're on opposite sides do you know i don't even i don't even know yeah so doug wilson is uh in favor of eternal functional subordination but like everything that doug wilson does he articulates it differently (laughs) right (laughs) john john frame is against it um, Wayne Grudem is for it. He is. Bruce mm. Ware is for it. Bruce Ware is for it. Um, so, I mean, yeah. you know, you look at these guys and you're like, John Frame, if John Frame and Bruce Ware disagree, then, you know, what am I going to lend to the argument? But, um, right. but that said, I don't want to minimize it too much because it's theology and we should all care about theology. I just think we should tread more lightly on places where the Bible's less clear. Yeah. And the Trinity is one of those things that is, obviously super crucial um any kind of study and any thorough examination of that doctrine is definitely beneficial i know yes uh any class i've taken or super smart pastor we've had will say that augustine's little book on the trinity is something everyone should go to i haven't read it i've seen quotes from it and they say like it has stood the test of time like augustine's book on the trinity is just phenomenal but every time i've i've heard people's concerns about EFS or ESS, whatever you want to call it. And I, I listen to it 
And then they say, because if you believe this, then this, which is basically like um, EFS leads to egalitarianism or something. And I go, okay, wait a minute. But I thought we believed in different roles, but same, uh, you know, essence and worth, just like what you said. And one of the things that we encourage women all the time with, you are the husband's helpmate, is that the Holy Spirit is called the helper. God is called our very present help in time of need. And so being a helper or being or, or taking a certain role doesn't automatically diminish your value, diminish your essence of what you are, or diminish your being. Um, right. and so I've heard a good distinction between, you know, the ontological trinity, which is the actual being of God. What are they? You know, all three are... All three persons of the Trinity are co-eternal, equal in power, and equal in glory. Each person of the Trinity has a different personhood. They each take on different roles. They each play a different part in redemption. They all do different things and all roles are needed. You know, even though Holy Spirit is sent by the Father, he's not sent of his own will, if you will, but the Father and the Son send the Spirit. And so, is he lesser because he's sent rather than just goes by himself or whatever? No, it's um, that perfect harmony that the Trinity has. And so I never understood how the EFS position led to such horrible things, I guess. But maybe that's because I view complementarianism a little bit different than maybe a lot of complementarians do. Uh, yeah, it, that's interesting that you say that because I've actually thought the same thing. And the truth is, um, again, I love theology, love studying theology. Um, this is one of those things, though, that uh, if I'm going to put the time and effort into studying it in depth and and, and I mean, I've, I've read the blog posts and I've, I've looked at the appropriate scriptures and stuff, but I know that there have been a couple of books written on it recently as, as this has gone back and forth. Um, and I haven't read those, but I, I don't understand where EFS leads to egalitarianism, because in my mind, it actually like like kind of like what you described, but just to kind of conclude that thought. I actually think the opposite. I think I think if you if you take a hard line on rejecting EFS, that that kind of leads to egalitarianism because you're connecting worth with role, right? Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. We fundamentally reject. The other thing that I would that I would say about it is um, when you think about. So I know you you I think found this essay. We talked about it a little bit when we when we chatted before at, at Rebels. Mm-hmm. We did a video on the. Um, the unpublished essay on the Trinity, right? Yes, by Jonathan Edwards. So, yeah, and now again, I'm, Jonathan Edwards is speculating. I remember him once saying, "I I have no problem um, boldly proclaiming twenty truths that Scripture never um, uh, clearly articulates uh, about the Trinity." Right? Hmm. Uh, that was like a famous line. Joe Rigney has quoted it about Jonathan Ed- that Jonathan That's Edwards funny. has said. So. But Jonathan Edwards, I think, had a really good grasp on the Trinity. And I think his unpublished essay, which essentially talks about, um, for our listeners who haven't read it, and I would, I would recommend that you read it. It takes some work, right? It's, it's, it's academic. It's, it's Jonathan Edwards kind of at his most intellectual. But it, basically what he talks about is the, the um, idea that God has of himself being personified in the person of Jesus not that Jesus is just a figment of God's imagination, but that if God has a an idea of himself, that idea itself, that reflection, that image of himself, um, also has the characteristic of it, it, it existence. Mm-hmm. 
So Jesus is begotten of God insofar as God is the primary and first, and, Je- and Jesus is begotten of him as the exact image and representation of him. I think when when that's when you think that way about the Trinity, if you buy into what Edwards is selling, and I think I have, yeah. then eternal functional subordination kind of makes sense. But again, it's just what do you mean by subordination, mm-hmm. right? What do you by eternal, right? right? Because so we use these words and subordination seems like a negative to us, right? And I think a lot of the venomous defense um, against or, or offense, I guess, against EFS is simply the idea that subordination makes Jesus less. Right. And anybody who's a good complementarian recognizes that role doesn't equal worth. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, so I think... Um, I don't think EFS is as scary as it is. I'm willing to be wrong on it, um, but I I would argue with anybody that it's certainly not heretical, and I don't think it leads to dangerous theology. It would lead to patriarchy, right? Right. But and so again. my my and my response to that would be: I think the Bible affirms godly patriarchy. Agree. Right. Like I think, I think I think that the Bible actually doesn't tell us that patriarchy is a negative thing. Um, if what they mean by that is it could lead to sort of a domineering patriarchy, then um, I would I disagree that it leads there, but I would equally uh, condemn you know uh, patriarchy as a sort of means of um, or a, as a means of abuse. Right. I don't think it leads there any more than recognizing God as Father lead, leads there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there. Lots of denominations. We have a we have a church just down the street in uh, in good old London, Ontario, um, that uh, had a sign out front earlier, and it says something about like um, God is love and she loves all, oh. right? And and more and more you have denominations, whether it's United, the United Church, the Unitarian Church, mm-hmm. if you can call them that, um, that are embracing either the genderlessness of God or right. a female um, God or a, a female gendered God, and they say they use the Bible, but I don't think that EFS leads to kind of an uh, unbiblical or abusive patriarchy any more than uh, affirming God as Father does. That's really good. Yeah. Well, I would just want to end this topic with just saying an encouragement to people who, who think maybe studying the doctrine of the Trinity or studying this kind of stuff is just dry and boring. And I know you said that Sometimes when you see, you know, theologians or authors that you truly respect on both sides, you kind of want to just understand that um, this may be something that we hold loosely and that's a hill we're not going to die on. But I would just encourage people, as we do on this podcast, to know theology, study theology, because, look, even the doctrine of the Trinity will affect how you view gender roles. It will affect how you view how the family works, how church leadership is going to work. And um, I think it was even Joe Boot who did our pro-life challenge video. He tied his reason for being pro-life to the ontological trinity, you know? I know. That was so good. <laughs> I know. In, in only, you know, a fashion Joe Boot can do. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and All I of just, us are sitting here going, oh, I yeah. wish I thought of it. Yeah. Yeah. Jaw on the floor. Just like, oh, great. All right. Thank you, Jose Bota. <laughs> So that's Joe Boot. If you're saying in Spanish, it'd be Jose Boat, Jose Bota. Okay. So funny story. Uh, <laughs> I haven't said this anywhere or to anyone. Okay. Um, speaking of Joe Boot and and funny 
things about Joe Boot. There's a there's a movie called Ballerina. Oh no. All right. I just want you to pause for a minute and wonder where I'm going with this. Where I'm going with this. I think you're going to redeem It's like a Disney or a Pixar or something movie. And it's about like an orphan runs away from her orphanage to France and joins a ballet school. So seriously, the instructor at the ballet dance school is a cartoon version of Joe Boot. It looks exactly like him. And it has like the accent, the whole thing. Like it's like the guy or the people who made the movie, no Joe. What? So, yeah. So I, so I sent this to Ryan Aris, Joe's assistant. And Ryan was just like, responded like, okay, whatever. And then like a day later, he just texted me and he's just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> it looks exactly like Joe Boot. So if any of you have daughters, it's a clean show. Um, watch the, the movie Ballerina and know that the dance in school instructor looks exactly like Joe Boot. If you know Joe and you've seen him in person a few times, you watch that and you will laugh hysterically. So it's as you a, think about Joe Boot instructing. That's really funny. No, we we were like, what would Joe Boot's name be in Spanish? And we were like, Jose Bota. <laughs> I had a lot of fun in this episode. Nate, did you have fun? I had fun. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. And uh, can can I can I close us off, Grant? Of course. So thank you guys for listening. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the Spirit. And until next time, get woke. Yeah. Let's start with the microphone check. One, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search. They say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gained, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect this at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart. From original sin, the effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a dark state, Alaska in the winter time, sour in our frames, left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames, cause we're powerless to change, if you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily, as you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3. Verse 1 is my thesis, it's the deepest Truth that should get you speechless What scripture teaches will fill in the missing pieces Picture Jesus meeting up with Nicodemus Perhaps it was fright about the other Pharisees Wicked spite against Christ that turned this into Nicked Night He called the rabbi and gave him props Said he was a teacher from God Jesus replied, made him stop Regarding the kingdom of God, no one's going in In fact, you can't even see it unless you're born again That must have consumed and stretched his mind Cause he said, can a man enter his mother's womb a second? Naturalistically, the only way for him to hear it Jesus said you must be born of the water and the spirit No other way to enter heaven That sounds like Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 In this new birth, the spirit is the source and the agent The water symbolizes spiritual purification Flesh can only produce flesh, that's true and factual Regenerating work of the spirit is supernatural It's kind of like the wind, which is free East to west can't perceive the steps You can only see its effects In the same way the Holy Spirit chooses who he pleases to sovereignly open their eyes to the truth of Jesus.
for the spirit's mysterious operation uh -huh. We will all be under serious condemnation I'd still be rejecting the sun If God hadn't said let there be light Like Genesis 1, yeah And just like the light could not refuse to shine Irresistible grace has renewed my mind Let's exalt the king who died and truly is risen The new birth is not the effect of human decision But the cause, it changes our natural habitation The situation, it's a radical transformation I was cursed and polluted so my dirt was inexcusable With new internal pupils, his person is beautiful His worth is indisputable, the lamb is amazing A standing ovation for his work in the crucible So let us respond with true worship and love To the God who was given new birth from above Thank <laughs> you.